people in our journey of learning this year, faithfulness and failure, from the end of Genesis chapter 39 through Genesis chapter 40, the absolutes that we're considering here are perseverance and devotion. What we're trying to learn is is persistence, tenacity, hanging in there. We even saw it in uh, Jesus' example in Matthew chapter 4 last week when he had to uh, deal with the temptation. What we've noticed out of this part of the story of Joseph is almost his absence. Is he even still in the picture? He interprets uh, the dreams, but the most profound things we can notice are these bold parentheses at the beginning of the chapter and the end. Sometime later, which we came to understand was years, probably 12, at least 10. And then at the very end of the chapter, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember him. He forgot him. Silence and time are the protagonists in the story this time. Now, we know the end of the story and that this is all a part of God's plan to to reveal him as one who can interpret dreams and then interpret Pharaoh's and then become second to Pharaoh to save the people of Israel. But Joseph did not know that. He didn't know it for at least ten years. Is there a lesson in that? More than any of us ever want to know. God has much to teach us through silence and time. Perhaps more than we would ever learn from anything else. That's why this principle is so important. Faithfulness and failure. Facing what you cannot control. What God wants. In this perpetual struggle is a discipline. Not just an answer. And that's what God wants. We want an answer. He wants to develop in us discipline. So we looked in Jeremiah 18 at the lesson of the potter and we learned that he is the potter and we are the clay. What does God want? God wants faithfulness because he is faithful even when we are not. God wants submission because he is God and we are not. And God wants devotion because you are His. You are not your own. Now, we struggle a great deal with this being necessary, don't we? Don't you know what it is to be in a tough time of learning a lesson and you just beg for God to end it because you've learned the lesson? <laughs> we never think we need as much change as we do. We don't believe we are as needy as we are. We are sure we're pretty close to being adequate for what we need to do. We know that we're better than those around us if you just take a look, right? After all, I'm pretty faithful. I'm rather submissive. I'm not wreaking havoc in this world. I'm more devoted than many. We could even go to Joseph and say, look, yeah, he had to mature a little because he was young and a little arrogant, but... Chapter 39 tells us the Lord was with him two different times and blessed him in Potiphar's house and even in the prison. He excelled and he stayed faithful and he didn't even become bitter. He was somewhat patient. What more do you want? Much more, apparently. How would you measure yourself against other biblical examples, characters, 
like Jacob. Peter. David. Noah. Jonah. Just about everybody's better than him, aren't we? Gideon. Miriam. Martha. Thomas. Sarah. Elijah. Moses. Zacchaeus. Abraham. Lazarus. Someone handed this to me recently. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was depressed. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. Lazarus was dead. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Now, we are very, very grateful for that because He loves us right where we are. God in the first person, first message. I love you. But, He also loves us so much, He will not let us stay right where we are. Let's examine the process of the potter once again. Remember last week as she sat there working the clay? She was teaching me as I went and visited with her. God sent me, like Jeremiah, to the potter. And she was explaining that, I don't know if you noticed, but at the beginning she was doing this. She was preparing the clay. Well, that's really nice. What did you ever do to the clay to slap it around like that? Did you know if there was still air in it in any way inside that it would explode when you fire it? Therefore, it has to be manipulated deeply to make sure that all of that is gone. And then, of course, she began to... She centered it. Do you remember? And in this service in particular, I couldn't watch much. I intentionally didn't watch much. But I did notice that unlike when I was at her house, it didn't hit the center of the wheel right on the button. I was surprised at her place. She threw it down and it was like right centered. Here in the first service, it didn't. I don't know if you noticed, but it was really off. And she was sat there with her elbows you know, inner sides, working it hard to get it centered. And eventually I had to pull out a tool to shave off parts of it so that when it spun, it wasn't lopsided, but it was perfectly centered. Imagine the pressure and the peeling away of what was unnecessary to get it just where it was supposed to be. And then, of course, all of the spinning and, and the pressure and the stretching and the pulling... I also asked her intentionally to draw it up to a point where there was a part that broke and she peeled it off and she took it away and she started back and continued because that's exactly what happens in Jeremiah 18. It crumbles under his hands and, and then he breaks it and decides to do something else with it as pleased him. And then there's the time of drying. Those pieces that she made sat here 
for the entire week. Then I had to carefully take them up to her on Friday. They're so fragile, they can't be touched for quite some time. This is a piece that's like that. And when she told me that I could have this piece and bring it back, she said, very, very, very careful because this is still quite fragile. And it'll break anything. She said, this, unless you really throw it on the ground, will not break. But this is still very, very fragile. And this has to sit for a long time. And then it's fired for the first time. And it looks like this when it comes out. Still fragile. Really not all that beautiful. And still in the process of needing to be worked. And now it's going to be glazed. And and then it has to be finished. And fired again. And finally, it's useful. Well, how long does that take? How long is your life? (laughs) Where are you in the process? We all believe we're way over here, just absolutely gorgeous, strong and healthy and used of God. When in reality, we, we might be a little farther back here than we want to admit. You see, this is where we need to dig deeper. And that's why in this month of January, I would like us to look at these three aspects of this silence and time being the protagonists in our lives. First of all, the silence of God. This is our particular struggle, and we have to start there, I think. Otherwise, we don't effectively see uh, the other issues and deal with them honestly. We start with ourselves. So, if God wants, well then, why the confusion about what He wants? How do we explain the silence of God, our own personal struggle? That's going to be this week. Next week, I'm going to look at why the bad happens when He is good. Why pain? And and there, the Wiser to Learn seminar, I'll introduce it next week. But then that Saturday following that, come from 6 to 9, and you're going to hear more biblical insight into it. You're going to hear a very powerful testimony of someone who's walked with through the unimaginable loss and, and how God used that in their lives. And, and then you're going to receive some very practical insights from our Stephen ministers about how you help people in these situations. You know what it's like to, you know, somebody suffers something and you, you, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Sometimes you end up saying something you really wish you hadn't said. So then that causes you never to help out. And then some people who are in great need, we're, we're uh, hesitant to ever help because we don't know how. So so come back to that. And then I, the last week in January, I'd like to look at what do we do now? What about the persecuted church? What about those that are worse off, in fact, than we are? But that'll be our month. So, so why the confusion about what he wants? How do we explain the silence of God? God can seem silent, can't he? Sometimes he seems distant. Some speak of the heavens being like brass. The prayers are just bouncing off. There's, there's no one there. He doesn't seem to care. Certainly, our Teacher by example this year, Joseph, must have felt that way. When God seems silent, how can we know what He wants? Let me just offer a few things, my mere attempt, because this is a huge issue, but in my prayer and my consideration and reflections on Scripture, a few things that might help us with our personal struggle. First of all, I want you to understand that God does speak. How He speaks can vary greatly. The first thing I think we need to recognize is that His voice can be terrifying. We are still talking about Almighty God, after all. Remember, He is the potter and we are the clay. Psalm 46.6 says, He lifts His voice, the earth melts. 
We haven't ever seen that. I believe the day will come when we will. It goes on to say, The Lord Almighty is with us. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. Psalm 29 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty water. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. The Lord strikes with flashes. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in His temple all cry, Glory! We are talking about Almighty God. And we have to be careful about asking to hear from Him, maybe. (laughs) I mean, the classic example of that, of course, is Job, who does so well in his example of suffering and difficulty all through his life. In the very end, he, he does clench his puny little fist and and demand why, and then we get, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. And so on and so forth. He even begs for mercy and says, I, I, I shouldn't have spoken. Forgive me, Lord. He says, no, 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 I'm not done yet. Be careful how you speak to him because his voice can be terrifying. Now, it's not just, of course, his voice is also tender because he did come in the first person. Hebrews 1 tells us, In the past God spoke to our forefathers, through prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son. John 1 tells us, of course, that the Word, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and then the Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. He speaks to us in tender ways as well. And His voice speaks on our behalf. This is an important insight. When he seems so silent, maybe he's not speaking to you, maybe he's speaking for you. Because Romans 8.34 tells us that Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He may not be speaking with you because he's speaking with his Father. About you. So why the confusion about what God wants? Because we aren't listening. This is the first thing we must understand. He does speak. We must be careful because it can be terrifying. He does speak tenderly because He came. And He speaks on your behalf before the Father. Then I want you to understand that God has spoken. And that can be enough. As we 
heard Jimmy read from Psalm 94. Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Of course he does. And he has spoken. Blessed is the man whom the Lord disciplines. The man you teach from your law. The Lord will not reject his people. He'll never forsake his inheritance. He may seem silent, but he has not forgotten. I find it interesting that Jesus, two different times in his trials, before Caiaphas the high priest and before Pilate, remained silent. Now, in each of the accounts, he eventually speaks, but in some of the questioning of him, he doesn't speak. Why not? Because he had already answered the questions. Why the confusion about what God wants? We don't like the answer, do we? Psalm 115 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is the, their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Our house of Israel we trust in the Lord. He is our help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Ye who fear Him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. See, God has spoken. And that can be enough. If you're a parent, you know what that is. Your children keep coming back and coming back and coming back. It isn't that you didn't answer they just didn't like the answer. We can be that way with our Heavenly Father. And then one final observation. God does not always speak. The answer is in the process. Psalm 113 bears our heart. It does. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? We can feel that way. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, the psalmist goes on to say, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. This can be how we feel, yet the psalmist remembers what God has done. And that's why I believe these things are seasons we can be in. That certainly is in the situation, the, the example, the life of Joseph. God wasn't always silent to Joseph. There was a period of time when he was silent. And if we're honest... That's what we suffer and deal with is a season of time because we can look back and see His faithfulness. And we know what it is even to come out of some of these times and see Him speak once again. And in fact, Jesus shows us by His own example. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. 
<laughs> one commentator mentioned, you notice that Jesus saw, uh, quoted Psalm 22 on the cross, not Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What did he quote? Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Even he felt the silence of God. As Isaiah tells us, he was a man of sorrows, familiar with grief. And I'd like to read from the end of Psalm um, of Isaiah 53 where it tells us that. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And, the Lord, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Why the confusion about what he wants? Because we don't always need to hear. We need him. Some of the most reassuring yet life-changing things that I have learned about my God and myself are in the prolonged, silent hands of a loving but very determined potter. You see, as we wrap up, we must return to the potter and the clay. God does speak. How he speaks varies. He is the potter. We are the clay. His work can be hard. His shaping is tender. And his work is on our behalf. The question we must ask is, are we listening? Because he does speak. God has spoken and that can be enough. He is making us what he wants us to be. Will you accept what he says, even if you don't like it? And God does not always speak. Sometimes the answer is the process. There are times of drying and there are long times of fragility. We don't always need to hear what we need is Him. As I said, some of the most reassuring and yet life-changing things I've learned about God and myself have been in the prolonged, silent hands of a loving and yet very determined potter. Let's respond to this by standing and singing this song of response. Change my heart, O oh God. Would you stand with me?